Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, our service this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 20 this morning. All right, there's not often a fifth Sunday in December, but, but it does happen every now and again. And for churches and pastors, as you're preparing series and messages and things of that nature, we get to this Advent season, and there's four. And so when there's four Sundays, it works out really, really well. But what do you do when there's a fifth Sunday? You stick your assistant pastor on that one, right? That's what you do. You get your four and then, no, right? So I, I don't think of this as just you getting the leftover one. I actually kind of like getting this fifth one. Why? Why would I want that tail under? Why do I enjoy that one? Because of the question that's on the screen uh, right there, uh, why did Jesus come? Because so often in our time of Advent, anticipating the coming of Jesus or anticipating Christmas where we celebrate the coming of Jesus, everything leads up to, everything points to that one day, the 25th. Right, And I don't know about you, uh, maybe you celebrated Christmas on a different day or you have some different families you go to because you go uh, to grandma's on mom's side this day and you go to grandma's on dad's side on this day and then you have your family Christmas on this day and so they're all over the place. But the idea is when we get to that Christmas day, we're all excited, right? We get up in the morning and I can remember this very well. My parents had to be very strict with us and, and give us rules for Sunday or for Christmas morning, right? And so we were only able to get up at a certain time, not before, right? Do not wake up mom and dad before, you know, such and such a time. Amen. I say amen to that now. Then I didn't. I thought they were just being mean. But I see the wisdom of their ways now, right? Take note, kids. Wisdom of your parents. Just follow it. It's good stuff. Right? But as a child, I can remember anticipating Christmas. It brought with it so many different things, and it still does today. We think about the candy, the hot cocoa, the food, family, music, uh, carols. Uh, some of you might like getting uh, all bundled up, get in the car, and you go driving around the, the streets looking at all the pretty Christmas lights and decorations. Some of you, you... you force your husband to watch Hallmark movies. And some of you husbands, you actually secretly like them. You know who you are. And of course, there are presents under the tree. Right? And, and my daughter's is, is like that because I'll come out and we'll see all these presents and I say, I think they're all for me. And she's like, no! They're mine too. Right? And in her just nice little sweet... Uh, corrective tone she corrects me to let me know that there are presents under the tree for her too because she anticipates these things now for each and every one of you I'm sure there's something that you anticipate about Christmas you look forward to at Christmas and I want to take a second and ask the question have you ever thought about how Israel anticipated Jesus we can think about it real easy for us now and what that looks like and the things that we anticipate about Christmas. But what was it like for Israel? What was it like for the people of God to know that there's a Savior coming and to advent or anticipate and wait for that occurrence? In her book, 
Let every heart proclaim him room. Nancy Guthrie says it this way. By the time Jesus was born, the Jewish people had been waiting for hundreds of years. What did y'all say on December 26? 364 days ago. Right? One year to anticipate Christmas again. One year. They've been waiting for hundreds of years for God to send his promised Messiah. It had been more than 400 years since they had even heard God speak to them through one of his prophets about the Savior he would send. It seemed like God had stopped talking to them. And some people had grown weary of keeping up their hopes that God would come through for them. While they were waiting, the Romans occupied their country and ruled over them, which made uh, this made them long even more for the great deliverer God had promised. Though it's hard to wait on God, and though it sometimes seems to us that God is slow, God's timing is always perfect. He is never late. He always acts at just the right time. That's hard for many of us to, to get through our thick skulls, though, sometimes, isn't it? Hence why in many times throughout Scripture, as God gives us lists about how we are to behave and act, the first thing, item on the list is patience, right? God knew when the time was just right to send Jesus, the Messiah, into this world. He knew when the exact religious, cultural, political conditions were in place. Maybe you weren't even thinking about that part of it. So many things have to be just right, and God knew when that time was. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. When the right time. Christ came at the right time. He came in the right form, and he brought the right gifts. Over the last four Sundays, Pastor Mark's been going through Advent and talking about uh, Christ being uh, the King, the love, or excuse me, the King, the Son, the Word, and the Savior. Those have been our last four Sundays. And so I'd like to kind of mesh those together a little bit with the gifts that God uh, brings through Jesus. Christ the King brought us love. Christ the Son brought us joy. Christ the Word brings us hope. And Christ the Savior brought us peace. See, Christ didn't just come empty-handed. Yes, he came uh, as a baby and seemed uh, very uh, vulnerable, innocent, and with nothing to offer. What does your newborn baby have to offer other than the loud, sleepless nights and poopy diapers? Right? Not a whole lot. But then moms, dads, you're thinking, oh, but they do bring us a lot. They do bring us joy, right? They do bring us love. There's a lot that a newborn baby can bring. And Jesus Christ, the newborn babe, brought with him much for all of us. What about after Christmas, though? What about that December 26th? Or even back up, it's December 25th. You just opened up all your gifts, and it's been an hour. Now what, right? Kids lose interest in their gifts sometimes. 
they forget about them and the joy that they brought. And so too it is and was with Jesus for us. We forget why Jesus came. The advent, this anticipation is gone. Now we're back to our regular scheduled programming, right? Jesus gets replaced by whatever is next. Now I'm guilty of this as well. So, so don't look at me up here and think that I have it all together. I do not, right? We are the same. I struggle each and every day as you do. I need to rely on the Holy Spirit's power in my life just as you do. I'm guilty of replacing Jesus with ministry, with my job. I'm guilty of replacing Jesus with my wife, my children, my tasks of the week, all of my all-important calendar. How about you? Christmas is over. It is December the 31st, and tomorrow it's a new year. Christmas is over. Jesus has now come. We're not waiting for Jesus to come the first time. Now we're waiting for the second, and we'll get to that later. But Jesus has already come. Amen? Now what? What takes the forefront for you now? What have you replaced Jesus with? Hey, Ed, come check out my North Star Christmas tree topper at Levitate's. Is this a gummy bear? Yeah, we lost baby Jesus. Hey, check out these LED lights. I have them synced up to a 76-hour all-Christmas music playlist. There's my little Christmas DJ. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you waiting till Christmas is over so you can go buy a new nativity set when they're on sale? Huh? No. No, oh no. We lost baby Jesus like 11 years ago. Is, is baby Jesus always a gummy bear? Oh, no, oh, we trade it out every year. Yeah, like uh, last year it was a uh, tiny troll doll. <laughs> and the year before that we used a uh, dog treat. They were the perfect size, but <laughs> Dalton kept taking them and eating them. You, you mean your dog kept stealing them? No, my son Dalton, he loves those dog treats. Especially the peanut butter ones. There was one year that we used a, uh, a doll head. That was creepy. We, we made a modeling clay, baby Jesus. So the dog took that one too. Um, one year we got desperate and used an ice cube. That was a miss and a mess. Yeah, just seems like everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never lasts. Say that again. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to last. And? And what? Say it again, slowly. Why? Just do it, dulcimo, slowly, do it. I don't understand what's happening. Just do it. This is getting weird. Say it! Fine! But when I'm done saying this, you're gonna march in here and you're gonna watch my star levitate. Fine, 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 do it. Fine. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to, oh, yep, there it is. Okay, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.
kind of a humorous video, but the point is still there. What do we replace Jesus with? Hopefully not a gummy bear. When we forget why Jesus came, we forget why we need him. And when we forget why we need him, we forget his importance in our daily lives. When we forget his importance, we tend to replace him with something else, something that never seems to last. Now, for others, there is nothing for you to forget, or for some in this room, possibly, there is nothing really for you to forget because you may have missed it altogether. You've missed what Christmas is all about. You've missed why Jesus came in the first place. Now, let me encourage you. You're not alone, and it's not too late either. For many of us, if we've missed it, I'd like for you to listen up. If you know why Jesus came and you've forgotten, I would like for you to pay attention. And if you have Christ in you right now and he is in the right place in your life, I would like to uh, warn you to stay on guard. Now, we're going to go through and look at a couple of things here this morning as to why Jesus came. And the first three things that we're going to look at uh, are three examples in this text, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 28. We're going to see three areas or three uh, groups of people that missed it. They just missed it, all right? Now, sometimes some of us, we think that, well, if Jesus was here right now, right, I'd get it. Right? If it wasn't you standing up there yakking at me and it was Jesus, I'd pay attention and I would just accept everything that Jesus said as gospel because he's the gospel, right? And, and it would click. But with you, with Pastor Mark up there preaching and stuff, I, it doesn't always click. Well, that's okay. I'm not offended, nor is Pastor Mark, because... This passage kind of encourages us in some way as pastors when, our, when the flock don't, don't quite get it. Because Jesus had his disciples, and his disciples were these men that were his students that he was continuing to bring along with him, teach them, encourage them, uh, model for them what it looks like and why he truly came, and they've missed it. We see in the verses 17 through 19 the first part of this. Follow along with me. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he uh, took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, if we back up for a second, in Matthew 16, verses 21 through 22, Jesus addressed the disciples for the first time regarding his death and resurrection. Why Jesus came. The disciples missed it. Peter went so far as to uh, pull Jesus aside and actually rebuke him. How many of you would rebuke Jesus? not seeing any hands. Again, in Matthew 17, verses 22 through 23, Jesus tells them again, and they are greatly distressed, and they missed missed it all over again. And here, in Matthew 
chapter 20 is a third time. And you know how it goes, right? Third time's a charm. Is that how it works? It's how the phrase goes, but it's not always true, is it? And right here we see it's not true because they miss it yet again. And unfortunately, it doesn't even stop there. We'll see again in verses 24 through 27, as well as later in Matthew 26, 1 and 2, the blindness of the disciples to why Jesus came. And you know what? Sometimes we, we, we miss it too. We're so busy uh, fixated on Christmas, on getting our house put together, on getting the, the menu put together and all of the food in order and all of these things, all of these programs, all of this stuff ready to go that we miss why or what Christmas is truly all about, why Jesus came. Because when we truly understand and have a grasp of why Jesus came, that will affect how we behave. That will affect how we live our life. That will affect how we view everything else. But here in this moment, the disciples are missing it. Let's continue reading in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, or they said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. So here we see Jesus' aunt and two cousins, James and John, family missing it. You think that family, the people that you live with, the people that are, are the closest to you by blood are going to get it because they, they see you each and every day. They, they know the real you, not just the, the you that you put on and, and go to work with. You think they would understand. Can you identify with this? Have you ever been so fixated on selfish things that you missed what God is really trying to do in your life? Jesus' aunt here is so fixated on, on the, the, the eternal standing for James and John and that they're going to have prominent places that she missed what Jesus is truly here for. It can be right in front of you, and you miss it. I think everyone in this room is probably guilty of missing something so obvious right in front of your face, and we've missed it, right? Jesus' disciples missed it. Jesus' family missed it. And here in verses 24 through 27, we see that the disciples missed it again. And if you're counting, that makes four. Verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were listening as, as, as she was speaking to Jesus and making this request. And when the disciples, the ten, heard it, they were indignant. They were enraged. They were angry. They were just annoyed beyond belief at the two brothers. But Jesus, verse 25, called, to them, or called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, 
and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. See, the disciples sought the same place of prominence as James and John. They were kind of jealous of the request, really, because there's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. We want those spots. We're the ones that have, have burned our boats and left our lives and come to, to, to learn at the feet of Jesus. We have been here for every little thing, all right? You guys aren't around him as much as we are, so you guys haven't done as much as we have. Like, mm-mm, how dare you ask for this? They're thinking it should be for them. Jesus corrects and clarifies here when he says, Guys, you want to be great? Serve. You want to be first? Serve. What's Jesus trying to tell us here? That it's not about self, it's about others. We need to be others focused. And we get here down to verse 28 that says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be, congregation, served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So we'll look at five reminders of why Jesus came. So we started with the disciples missing it, the family missing it, the disciples missing it again. And just to be sure that we don't miss it this morning, folks, let's spend the rest of our time just looking at why Jesus came. Can you hang with me for a few more minutes here? I don't know what time it is, but I ain't going to say amen until I'm done. All right? First, to suffer. The title Jesus used for himself here in this passage is the Son of Man, which highlights for us in a significant way that he is identified with us as man, as as human, or as human. And as a man, he was able to sympathize with us in our suffering, Hebrews 4 tells us. And he was qualified as a sacrificial substitute for us, for our sins. And when he spoke of the cup that he would drink in verse 22, he was speaking of drinking down the wrath of God in the place of sinners. So Jesus came to willingly suffer and die for you and for me. So we're anticipating the coming of Jesus Don't miss out on why he's coming. So often in the New Testament, as we see Jesus going out and doing his work and doing the ministry, uh, we've gone through a a number of the New Testament books over the last number of years and seen uh, how Jesus was at work. And he would frequently tell people, don't tell anybody what just happened. Right? I just healed you or just did some miracle. Don't tell anybody. Why? Because then everybody's going to come flocking to to see these miracles or to bring their their ailments or struggles or problems for Jesus to fix like he's some magical magician. He didn't want that kind of crowd coming through because he had a specific purpose why he was here. And even after the crowds came, Jesus would heal people's physical ailments and he would make very clear that that I'm not here to heal you physically. That's not why I'm here. Get up and walk. Okay, great, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here to give you eternal life, to cure you from your eternal sin. But in order for me to do that, I need to suffer. 
Jesus also came to save. That's what he means when he said he would give his life as a ransom for many. The word Matthew uses for ransom is lutron, a word that can refer to a payment made to release someone from slavery. Today we might associate this word with a hostage situation. Which is actually quite fitting given our relationship with sin and its control over us. Being held hostage to our sin. We are slaves to our sin. To our self and death. But Jesus gave his life so that we might be free from these shackles. We might be free from these things. Romans chapter 6 verse 16. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Thirdly, Jesus has come to substitute. I'm a good Baptist preacher, so these all start with S if you haven't figured it out yet. But how is this possible? How does Christ's death save us from sin and death? The key lies in that little word, Four, here in verse 28. In this instance, the word carries the sense of in place of. And it speaks to the fact that Jesus came to be our substitute. Jesus gave his life in the place of those he would save. We stand under the weight of our sin and the wrath of God, fully deserving death. When we are born into this world, okay, parents, you look at your children and you think they're just the most adorable thing on the face of this earth. And I don't remember who it was, but I remember hearing that Pastor Wigan went to go to the hospital and see, maybe it was one of the white kids. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Jen and Jerry, one of, one of their kids, right? Uh, I think that's who it was. But looks at them and says, oh, what a pretty filthy, nasty, rotten sinner kind of a thing. Because as adorable as that child might seem to you, we understand or we need to remember that we are all born into this world filthy, nasty, rotten sinners bound for hell. Because as sinners, we deserve only eternal separation from a righteous and holy God. But Jesus took our place. He became my substitute. He became yours. This is the glory of the gospel. Not just that Jesus died for you uh, in an effort to express uh, some sort of loving sentiment, but he died instead of you. I like that phrase because it, it, it feels like it attaches me to it a whole lot more. Not just did he die for me, he died instead of. Meaning, it should have been me. It should be you. But Jesus came to be our substitute. Number four, he came to show. Jesus came to suffer, to save, to be our substitute. And based on the context that we find here in Matthew 20, Jesus came to show us how we should be living Unlike the worldly rulers who lord their authority over people in verses 25 and 26, Jesus' disciples were admonished or encouraged to manifest a different kind of leadership. Like their master, 
like Jesus. They were to live selflessly. Selflessly for the good of others. As are we. As am I, as are you. Folks, God's glory and not our own reputation should be our aim and our goal this, this year, this lifetime, right? But as Pastor Mark talked about this being the end of a year and we get into the resolution thing and all the stuff that we're going to recommit to, all right? Our goal, our aim, not just for 2024, but our entire lives should be to glorify God in all we say and in all that we do. Here at Carroll First Baptist, we're committed to making more and better disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who, in everything, seeks to bring all praise, honor, and glory to the Father. The disciples were to love people by serving them. When Jesus tells James and John, you will drink my cup, in verse 23, he's telling them that they too will lose their lives serving others. Now, just to be clear, these disciples didn't experience the cup of suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross in an atoning sense, but their lives would be lived in sacrificial service to others based on what Jesus had done for them. You may remember these words from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. This is for you, for me. We need to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. You see, James would become the first martyr we find in Acts chapter 12 when he was beheaded. And John, he would later endure extreme persecution and eventually be exiled as a prisoner to the island of Patmos. This kind of sacrificial service is what defines kingdom greatness. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Correct? And if something truly matters, that's what we give the most of our time, talents, and treasures to, right? Finally, Jesus came to serve. Jesus' desire to show us how to live leads to this final reminder of why Jesus came. And this reminder is really at the center of all the others. Jesus came to serve. This truth may seem elementary or simple, but it's, it's worth our time to consider. The reality here completely reverses our expectations. Consider, if you would, for a moment, uh, the words from author uh, David Platt. He says this, Jesus did not come to be served by you. Click over to the next slide, would you please? Jesus did not come to be served by you. He came to serve you. Jesus did not come to be helped by you. He came to help you. And Jesus did not come to be waited on by you. He came to wait on you. You see, at the time for a religious teacher to talk like this sounded really, really crazy. Because the teachers would tell you what to do, how to live. And oftentimes, for many of the Jewish believers, they would tell you what you need to do to be saved, how to live your life, how to follow the law and the Torah and all these things. This is what you do, right? This works-based salvation. But Jesus came to bring a new truth. 
And unlike the earthly rulers, Jesus didn't come as some monarch or royal leader whose personal desires were to be catered to by lowly servants, lowly peasants. He's not just sitting there on this giant pillow with people fanning him with these giant feathers, right? Reaching into this bowl of grapes and eating the grapes and, you know, having people kiss his royal fingers and all that kind of stuff. If you'll indulge me, I want to read a section from Philippians chapter 2. Familiar passage. Starting in verse 1 says of Jesus. This is his humility section. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Only through Jesus can this be possible. Verse 6, who, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I get an amen? He has come to be our lowly servant by becoming a man and providing salvation for us. The one who deserves to be served came to serve. And this service was ultimately demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. Matthew was alluding to the servant prophesied by Isaiah in 50, chapter 53, where he said, The righteous one, my servant, shall bear their iniquities and bore the sin of many. So folks, we need Jesus. We needed Jesus and we need Jesus. We need Jesus in the profoundest sense of the word. For you, for us to forget why Jesus came is to forget why we need him in the first place. And when we forget why we need Jesus, we forget his importance in our life. And when we forget his importance, then we will find something to replace him. Something that never lasts. So I want to close with one question. What is your gummy bear this morning? That's the question. Christmas is over. We're looking at a new year right in front of us. The anticipation's all behind us. Is Jesus behind you? Are, are you seeing that there's this void in your life and you need to replace Jesus with something? And so you're going to, to all of these things to try and replace Jesus? Don't replace Jesus, I urge you. If you know Jesus and you're just a little off, all right, let's get reoriented. Let's get refocused on Jesus. So much why Pastor Mark is saying uh, we have these reading plans because we need the Bible in us. We need God's word in us to direct us. 
Because when we don't fill ourselves with the living word of God each and every day, then there's a void and we replace it with stupid things. So I could encourage us, don't be stupid this year. Don't be stupid this year. Don't go for the gummy bears. Go for the word of God. And keep Jesus firmly placed where he belongs at his place of glory and honor in this next year and the rest of your life. Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. Without your word, God, we would be so lost. Because it is through your revelation of yourself that that I realized my state as a sinful person, that I knew that I was a sinner, And that I even knew what to do after that realization. And it's true for each and every one of us today. God, may we this day, this this next week, year, and lifetime, may we exalt you to the place that you belong. May we not allow our egos to edge God out of our lives, but may we rather uh, edify God only in our lives. Father, we anticipate Christmas every year. Help us to anticipate you every morning. And be renewed every morning. And be filled by the holy words that you have left for us to know you. May we exalt you with every breath that we have. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God, you are-